0: And don't fear, we haven't skipped from 7 to 13. I will be back to 7 next week. But this week, because of timeliness, I wanted to get into Romans chapter 13 briefly. Jay, can you get me a little bit of water? I appreciate it, thanks. Romans chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, and avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Let me pray. Lord, we ask you as we meditate upon your word, as we look at various passages this morning, and we consider your soft hand and the appointment of our leaders. We ask that we would be illumined by your spirit so our minds would understand your word properly. Lord, that our hearts would be softened so that we would rejoice in it, we would be repentant before it. Lord, we ask that you would examine our hearts and Lord, that you would demonstrate to us any sin in us that needs to be rooted out, any wrong thinking in our minds that needs to be replaced. And Lord, that we would live as a church in quietness quietness and godliness before these people. And that we would have a government that promotes that. Lord, we would understand what it means to be citizens in that kind of government for your glory. Amen. Well, I gave a sermon title which might give away some of my bias about the elections. I'm very happy that Prop 8 passed, by the way. I'm thankful we're praising the Lord for that. But on... Wednesday morning when I woke up Inga had asked me to come to her uh, to do show on on the radio and I realized in the midst of talking about elections and the outcome and actually we did an entire political talk radio show and I think all we talked about was theology the whole time for 3 hours and the phones were slammed with people wanting to talk about how could god be sovereign in this How did God really put that man as president? Did God really put that new Congress in? Are you saying God, what about Hitler? Did God put him there? You're saying he appoints all people. Is God really in control of this? What does all that mean? And we had this discussion for three hours and I realized I had to answer this question. Even for my own church is God sovereign over elections. Even when we don't like the outcome. Which gives you a bias of my my feeling about the outcome. Is God sovereign over elections even when we don't like the outcome? We are saying, yes, he's sovereign when we do like the outcome. Absolutely God appointed that man because I like him. But God could not have possibly appointed that man because I'm not so sure about him. On Tuesday night, I was extremely conflicted. Extremely conflicted. We had elected Barack Obama as the president of the United States. Why was I conflicted about that? Is it because I don't like him? Because I think he's a bad guy? No, I don't know him. He seems genuine as far as I know. I, I don't know the guy enough to make a call either way. Why was I conflicted? Because I watched his speech in front of Planned Parenthood. That's the primary reason I was conflicted. Not because of his discussions about the redistribution of wealth, although I'm not a big fan there either. But I was primarily conflicted because I watched a speech in front of Planned Parenthood in which he said that his first act as president would be to sign into law the Freedom of Choice Act. Why does that bother me? The Freedom of Choice Act removes every state law that allows for parental consent in cases of minor girls getting abortions. The Freedom of Choice Act removes every law that currently is on the books, federal and state, that limits abortions um, to the early trimesters of pregnancy and does not allow late-term abortions. The Freedom of Choice Act removes the law that currently outlaws what is called partial birth abortion, which is where a woman gives birth to a baby, and as she's giving birth, the doctors, they, they induce labor the doctors turn the baby around, bring the baby out feet first, when two inches of the baby's head is still left in the the birth canal, the doctors insert surgical scissors into its head and suck its brains out and then discard it. That's a horrific procedure. That can be up to nine, I mean, the day before birth, naturally. We have laws against that And he promised that as his first act as president, he would abolish the laws against that. That caused me to be extremely distraught when I saw him win overwhelmingly. Extremely distraught. Why did God, I thought, decide not to give us the potential For justice to the unborn in this election. We've been praying for justice for the unborn for 35 years. Why did he not give us the potential for justice for the unborn this election? That's what I was wondering. Why did God in his sovereignty decide not to use this presidential election. To bring an end to abortion, A procedure that has taken the lives now in America of upwards of 40 to 50 million babies since 1973. Since 1973, a procedure, by the way, that has destroyed the lives of countless women who were lied to about how this would help them. And found at the end of it, depression and despair and anxiety. Why did the Lord not bring that to an end in this election cycle? That was a question I had Tuesday night. At the same time, I was conflicted. Why? Because I thought again. ...about the election of Barack Obama as President of the United States. A black man. I thought about having our first black first lady... ...and the children, these two daughters of Barack Obama... ...playing on the White House lawn. And I realized that while the unborn are not yet getting justice... Those who were sold into slavery are she stopped and contemplated that in this great nation. God has chosen this time to announce to the world that one of the greatest sins that americas of america 's past has been vindicated as now, think the grandsons and granddaughters. Of slave owners who are still alive. You realize that? Grandsons and granddaughters of slave owners voted in this election and now look to a black man as their president. Think of that. That's incredibly glorious. Do you think the abolitionists? who fought for an end to slavery, ever, ever envisioned this day? Do you think they ever thought, one day we will see a black man as President of the United States? One day, in fact, not too far off, a day in which the grandsons and granddaughters of these men currently owning slaves one day they will see and look to and be led by a black president. Do you think the world ever envisioned that? The whole of Western Europe and America and the African countries that were invaded by us where we stole people from them and subjected them to slavery ever conceived that would occur. So, if that's happened... Why do I lack confidence that justice for the unborn will come? Why do I despair when I see a man get elected who promises to be the most pro-abortion president in history? It's an irony, isn't it? That the most pro-abortion president in history happens to be a black man who's vindicating America's other greatest sin. I, I, I still struggle. And here's why, because we're not talking about political differences. We're talking about abortion. We're not talking about political differences. We're not talking about Democrat or Republican, independent or green party or any other kooky party that exists, right? We're not talking about any of that stuff. What are we talking about? We're talking about life and death. Talking about issues of life and death. And I struggle because, and here's the key, I struggle because I don't trust God when the stakes are high. Not just in elections, but in life. I have a difficult time trusting God when the stakes are high. I don't want to believe that God would choose to put a leader in authority who would do something wicked. However, I must not be reading my Bible. For there are numerous examples and direct teachings that counter my desire to believe otherwise. A prime example. Daniel chapter 2. If you know where that is in your Bibles, turn there. He's one of the prophets. Right after Ezekiel, you can find him. Daniel chapter 2. I'll give you an example. Daniel was a young boy, about 13 years of age, when a man named Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar being the king in a sense of Babylon, king of Babylon. And this man, Nebuchadnezzar, was given by God the authority, by the way, told in scripture, the right to conquer Israel. In fact, God sent Nebuchadnezzar to conquer Israel, an evil, pagan, godless king who came into Daniel's country, Israel and utterly decimated it, and removed several of the Jews, and sold them into slavery, and did various things with them, and God put Nebuchadnezzar in power. For the guys who were taken in at the time, because they were um, generally young, intelligent, strapping, handsome sort of guys, Daniel and his friends whom we unfortunately mostly refer to as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're pagan names instead of, anybody know the real names? Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, right? Which all those are names exalt God, but we always call them by their names that don't. For some reason, I'm not sure why. Um, but Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were all taken hostage and trained to be astrologers. And you might wonder, where did the astrologers, by the way, the Magi, who show up on Jesus' day, where did they get that prophecy? The Magi, the astrologers from Babylon, from the east, who came, where did they get the prophecy that a Messiah would be coming? Probably from Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, who were in Babylon, trained with them, and who probably taught them about the Messiah. But That's where they were, conquered by an evil king. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't the only evil king they had in the book. They also had Belshazzar, who was not a um, good king, and Darius, who was somewhat neutral. Um, Darius the Mede or Cyrus the Persian, he's called, but he's he's kind of Daniel liked him. He had a good relationship with with him, but uh, he was kind of ruled by his own law, the law law of the Medes and the Persians at the time, and and did things that that Daniel certainly wouldn't have liked. Listen to what Daniel says in this context. This is the context he's in. Ruled by an evil king. And here's what he says about that. Look at Daniel chapter 2 verse 20. Daniel blesses the God of heaven and says this. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. To whom belong wisdom and might. He... God changes times and seasons. He, God, removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Who does Daniel understand put Nebuchadnezzar in office? He understands God did. Nebuchadnezzar, a man who ransacked his country. Nebuchadnezzar, a man who tried to force his people to worship false gods. There's no greater sin in the Bible than worshiping idols. No greater sin than worshiping idols. Nebuchadnezzar tried to force the worship of idols. Himself, in fact. And Daniel understands that God put him there. God put him there. What about Jesus What is Jesus' understanding? Look at John chapter 19. John chapter 19. And look at verse 10. Now, Now, I want you to understand, this is the scene where Jesus is before Pontius Pilate. Jesus is about to be killed by Pontius Pilate. Listen to his response to Pilate. Pilate is a Roman governor who was not particularly good. And here's a response. Look at verse 10. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me. Jesus wouldn't answer his question. Not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority? Authority is the word in Greek that's, that has to do with right. I have the right authority to release you and authority to crucify you. Jesus answered him. No, you don't. You weren't put here by God. You're evil. Who, what makes you think you have that authority? What does he say? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. You have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Jesus looks at the man who is about to commit the greatest sin in the history of the world. The crucifixion of the perfect, righteous son of God and says to him, you've been given the authority to do this by God. How about direct references? Those are examples. Look at Romans 13, which we just read. Romans 13, we just read so I can give you some direct references. Verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority. How many? There's a few authorities? No. There is no authority except from who? God. And those that exist have been instituted by God, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Hear that? Or first Peter, the apostle Peter, teaches on the same topic. this is back by the way, before second Peter, um, and first John, etc, and after James in chapter two and verse thirteen, Peter says this: "Be subject for the Lord's sake." To every human institution. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme. Or to governors. Listen. As sent by him. To punish those who do evil. And to praise those who do good. Who were sent by him? Governors. Authorities. Sent by God. When I was first elected. um, On the school board. And I'm not going to tell you to vote for me or against me. You can vote however you want. I already won this time. So you have to wait for four years. If you want to vote against me next time. But. But. When I was elected the first time, I was asked for my quote and the paper called me up and said, what's your quote going to be? And I told them that day, I said that morning before any results came out, I said, I have the same quote, whether I win or lose. So you do. What is it? I said, win or lose. This is all I'm going to say to the newspaper. I said, okay, tell us what it is. I said, all praise, honor, and glory goes to Jesus Christ for he sets up leaders and he deposes them. We're just quoting from Daniel. That's your quote? Yep. Win or lose? Yep. So you're saying if you lose, that God didn't want you and wanted someone else? Uh Uh-huh. God appointed somebody besides you. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Okay. They put it in the paper and all of a sudden, a flurry of letters to the editor of people saying, how? Could he say that? How could he possibly say that God did that? What about Hitler? Was Hitler appointed by God? And then someone said after Hitler, what about Nicole Parra? As if they're equivocating the two. How fair is that? I'm reading the article thinking if I'm Nicole Parra, I'm very unhappy right now. I've been put in the same sentence with Hitler. Hitler. What about them? Have they been appointed by God? Yes. Yes, they have. Why? I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea why. I just know the scripture is clear. No one is in authority unless he's appointed by God. Period. I don't know why. I don't know what God was doing with Hitler. I don't know why God would put a man or appoint a man to office that wanted to slaughter Jews. I know one thing. God did not desire to see Jews slaughtered. I know that. So why appoint Hitler? I don't know. It isn't because somehow God has revealed his hand that he really doesn't like the Jews. In this case, God hasn't revealed his hand by appointing Barack because he really doesn't like the unborn. That isn't the point. He appointed him, and I don't know why. Certainly, Hitler and the Germans are responsible for exterminating the Jews. Certainly, Mussolini is responsible for what he did in Italy. Certainly, Stalin and Lenin, etc., are responsible for the horrors they brought to The USSR slash Russia. Certainly, Mao is responsible for the horrors he brought to China and Pol Pot to Cambodia, etc., etc. They're responsible for those things. Certainly, we, the people we elect, are responsible for abortion in this country. But God used us to elect them because He appointed them for that office to do us good. And sometimes men are appointed for an office to do good, and what do they do instead? evil. Is God aware of that? Yes. Does he appoint them for that? Yes. Why? I don't know. He appointed Pontius Pilate to kill the Messiah. I don't know why he does. It's easy for us not to trust God's sovereign plan because we can't see what he's planned. God is painting large, a glorious picture for the fullness of the ages. And we shouldn't doubt it because all we can see is a small corner of the painting and we can't make out the whole picture. He is, have you guys ever been, seen a big, huge mural or painting? If you walk up real close to it, you can only see a little part of it and it makes no sense to you. It's not until you step back and see the whole thing that you understand what he's doing. And such is the counsel of God in this earth. He is doing things that we don't understand because we see a tiny little piece of the picture. But one day when we are with him, we will be able to step back and see the fullness of what God has done. And we'll get it. And I trust him for it. I trust him for it. Do you think the disciples wondered why God would allow the Jewish and Roman leaders to put Jesus, his glorious son, to death? Do you think they wondered that? Why God? Why would you allow this? Of course they did. However, they came to realize that God not only allowed it, but he planned it. Hear that? The single biggest sin... The murder of Jesus Christ, the single biggest sin in the history of the world was planned by God. If you don't believe that, go back to Genesis 3.15. Come all the way through the Old Testament. It was promised before it ever happened. Come to Acts chapter 2 and hear what the apostles say about it. In fact, Peter preaching says this preaching at Pentecost. The spirit is just ascended upon the disciples and they're preaching. And he says this in verse 22 and 23. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, now listen, delivered up, he's talking about the crucifixion here, delivered up. According to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Hear that? God planned it. You did it. You're the ones responsible for the sin. He's not. How does that work? I don't know. Acts chapter 4. I'm sorry if you're dissatisfied with that answer. I am too. Acts chapter four, the apostles are preaching the gospel. They've been healing people and they're preaching and they're getting popular and the Sadducees are getting jealous and the Sadducees bring them in and say, stop it. Stop talking about Jesus. Stop healing guys in the temple, It's making us look bad. And so they instruct them not to and tell them they're going to give them a beating. Now, think of this. If you're called in by the governing authorities of your city and you're told, don't talk about Jesus anymore publicly. If you do, we're going to give you a beating and we may crucify you too. What would your reaction be when you left that meeting? How'd you feel about life when you left that meeting? Listen to the disciples. Listen to what happens. Verse 23 of Acts chapter four, when they were released They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord. Hear that? Where's their emphasis? God is in control. Sovereign Lord. That's the Greek word from which we get the word despot. Sovereign Lord who made the heaven. And the earth and the sea and everything in them. Hear that? You created it all. And who through the mouth of our father David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod And Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do what? To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Hear that? Could that be any clearer? These same men, incidentally, in the very next chapter, are given that beating because they keep talking about Jesus. And when they leave the temple after the actual beating, they had the promise. They went out and prayed sovereign Lord in the next chapter. After they get the beating, they leave. And it says that when they left after the beating. They left the president of the council rejoicing, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. I think these guys had a handle on the sovereignty of God in all things so much so that we can rejoice when we receive a beating for preaching his name because we know the end and we know who's on the throne. And you can beat me all you want, but all you do is bring honor to me because I get counted worthy to suffer for him who's actually on the throne whom you refuse to recognize. That's their attitude. They also, in Philippians 129, Paul says this to the Philippians. It's been appointed unto you not only to believe, appointed unto you, not only to believe, but to suffer. They understood that. God appointed them to this. God appointed these leaders to do what they're doing. God put them there. When we understand or I should say this, we must understand that God is utterly sovereign and trust he is good even when we cannot see or understand what he is doing. Hear that? That he is sovereign and he is good even when we cannot see or understand what he's doing. Because guess what? Most of your life you will not be able to see or understand what he's doing. And while none of us knows God's plans for Barack Obama as our president over our country for the next four years, while none of us knows those, and I emphasize four years, at least I'm hopeful, and now none of us understands that, we do know that God sovereignly chose to place Barack Obama in that position of authority. God placed him there. God gave us Nancy Pelosi, and God gave us Harry Reid. God did. Did we vote? Yes. Are we responsible for our vote? Yes. Who appointed them ultimately? God did. So what's our responsibility? What's our responsibility? Here's where I give you some exhortation. What do we do as Christians? Here's our responsibility. One. First responsibility. I'm going to give you five responsibilities that we have as Christians. One. We are to pray for Barack Obama and Nancy Pelosi and Harry Reid and Arnold Schwarzenegger and whoever the crazies in charge of our state legislature are. We're to pray for them all. Pray. First Timothy chapter two says this. First of all, then I urge that supplications Prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God, our savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We need to pray for Barack Obama and our Congress and our governor and our legislature and our city councilmen. And our county supervisors and everybody else in positions of authority. We pray for them. Pray for Barack Obama's wife and children. I can't even imagine how difficult it is for those little girls over the next four years to have their di- dad as the president of the United States. Can't even imagine. I can't imagine how difficult it will be for his wife to be the first black first lady. It's not going to be easy. We should pray for them. We should pray for him for wisdom. That God would give him wisdom to lead this great nation through a difficult time. We're in a difficult time. To pray he fails is to bring misery on everybody. You better pray God gives him wisdom. Wisdom far beyond his experience. Wisdom far beyond his natural ability pray, God gives him wisdom. We need to pray for his protection as a target of evil men. The last thing our country needs is our first black president to be assassinated. We should be praying for his protection. Pray for him. We should be praying for his eyes to be opened to see the horrors of abortion and the importance of protecting marriage. We should pray for that. Look, we may think Oh, no, our country's elected some crazy liberal. Oh, no, it's all over. Now comes the fourth redistribution of wealth. And now comes more liberal judges. And now comes increased abortion and homosexual marriage and all of this kind of stuff. We may think that and I hear everybody on the radio despairing about it. It's so sick I had to turn it off. Couldn't even listen to the radio except for that one show we did where we talked about theology for the last four days because we didn't talk about the politics of it. We just talked about God and that he's good. But I can't hear the stuff on the radio because it's so overwhelmingly depressing because most of the people on the radio are not reflecting on the fact that God is still king. And God can change him. Rather than worrying about whether abortion will be ended or not, I'm going to pray that God will open Barack Obama's eyes up to see the truth of it. And guess what? If we believe that we can pray for God to open men's hearts so they can be saved, why don't we think he can open their eyes to see the truth about abortion? Of course he can. He's sovereign. So let's pray he does it. There isn't any time to waste. We can't forget he's sovereign. God can change anyone. And if God changes nothing else about Barack Obama in the next four years, I'm praying he changes his view on abortion. And I'm praying hard for that. Rather than despairing and complaining, we need to remember who our God is and pray. Two, we're to thank God. We are to thank God for Barack Obama. Thank God for him and for our Congress and for all who are in authority in our state. First Timothy 2 is pretty clear about this. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions. We thank God for them. You may not be thankful for their policies. But you can be thankful that you have a government. As opposed to an anarchy. We are thankful to God that he's given us some kind of government that is better than most other kinds of government. And that is not anarchy. So that we are protected. We still have the freedom to preach the gospel in this country. We should be thanking God for that. If we have no other freedom left but that one, that will suffice. We should be thankful for it. We should be thanking God that we have the privilege to vote and to work to bring good governance. Third, we are to respect and honor Barack Obama and our Congress and our state government. Respect and honor them. Romans chapter 13 says the following in verse 7. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Right? Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue, revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honored is owed. The word respect is the word which, from which we get, or we also use as fear or revere. Not in the sense that you would God, but in the sense that you would your boss. Or a wife would with her husband or children with their parents. It's that sort of respect. We're also to show honor for the office he holds to him for the office he holds. For the office they hold. That doesn't mean that in a representative government we can't speak out when we disagree or we can't vote for someone new. That doesn't mean that. What it means is that even when we don't agree... We submit to the leaders we've been given and show them respect and honor. That's what it means. Four. We're to obey God. We're, we're to obey laws that are signed by Barack Obama and written by our Congress. And unfortunately, in our day and age, written by our judges. Unless they violate God's law. Hear that? We obey the laws of our nation unless they violate God's laws. Romans 13 one, Let every person be subject to governing authority. Subject to submissive or obedient for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. We obey our authorities unless they violate God's laws. I've gotten in trouble for this one as well. I told people I would not obey a law given by my government that expressly disobeyed the law of God. And I won't if my government tells me that I'm not allowed to speak about Jesus Christ, I'm going to disobey them. Because the Bible clearly commands me to speak about Jesus Christ, doesn't it? Acts chapter four, we see disobedience to the governing authorities, don't we? They tell them, don't talk about Jesus. And what do they say? Do you want us to obey man or God? We see it in the case of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, Right. What happens with them? Nebuchadnezzar says, bow down and worship my statue. Thousands of people bow down and worship. They all drop to their faces. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are just standing there. I mean, this was a visual picture of disobedience. And he tried to throw them in the oven, but God protected them. We see it with regard to Daniel. Daniel who's told by a king he loves, by the way, Darius. You're not allowed to pray anymore, Daniel. You've got to stop. And Daniel does what? Prays. And is thrown into the lion's den. I'm not saying there won't be consequences that you have to pay for disobeying your government's laws. I am saying that in as much as your government's laws do not require you to violate God's law, you obey them. And when they require you to disobey God's laws, you disobey the government's laws and you prepare yourself to face the consequences for doing so. Fifth, and finally, we're to pay the taxes that Barack Obama will most likely raise. Romans (laughs) chapter 13, verse (laughs) 7. Sorry, I had to throw in a joke in that one. Romans chapter 13, verse seven, pay to all what is owed to them taxes to whom taxes are owed. We're to pay the taxes, even if they raise them. Barack Obama raises your taxes, you pay them. But what about if he uses that money, which he promises to in the um, Freedom of Choice Act to require that all abortions be paid for by your tax dollars? The Freedom of Choice Act also requires, by the way, that all abortions will be free and a product of your tax dollars. But then should I continue to pay my taxes? That's a really difficult ethical decision. I would tell you that you are not directly morally responsible for how your government spends the money you pay to it. However, you are morally responsible to pay the taxes they require for you from you. Uh. I'll give you an example. Jesus told Israel to pay their taxes, didn't he? Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. And to God what is God's. Was Caesar good to people with the tax money? Paul tells them, pay your taxes. You know, not too long after this, Nero comes along. And uses Christians as candles in his garden. And these Christians still paid their taxes. You pay your taxes. Now, if you're... I I don't want to say... While we're not directly morally responsible for what they do with our tax money, because this is a representative government in which we, the people, have the power vested with us, and we elect them, we are indirectly morally responsible for what they do with our tax money. We're part of the people who elected them to represent us. And if we have unjust leaders who use our tax money for unjust laws in this particular American context. Not true for who Paul's writing to in Rome, but true for us now in this context. If we have unjust leaders who are passing unjust laws, we as Americans have the God-given authority to work for and vote for new leaders. The God-given authority and responsibility. And perhaps I should end here. In the United States Constitution, we have a preamble. It says this. We the people, and I'm going to insert something here. Did you guys know Schoolhouse Rock? I brought this up in the call, uh, last week. Do you guys know Schoolhouse Rock? You know, conjunction, junction, what's your function? Right? Do you guys remember this one? <laughs> we the people, right? In order to form a perfect union. You- okay, yeah, right? Okay, anyways. I, that's how I learned the preamble. Sorry. <laughs> it's true. was watching cartoons on Saturday morning. Don't say there's nothing good on TV. We, the people, and I'm going to insert this, have been appointed by God. We were given this Republican democracy by God. We, the people, having been appointed by God to form a more perfect union, to establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, to provide for the common defense, to promote the general welfare, and to secure the blessings of our liberty to ourselves and our posterity. We, the people, have that. Therefore, we shouldn't gnash our teeth in frustration. We should pray for our elected authorities. We should submit to our elected authorities. We should appeal to our elected authorities to do something different. We should thank God for our elected authorities. We should respect our elected authorities. And when they're unjust, we should work diligently to remove our elected authorities from office. It's our God ordained privilege and our God appointed responsibility. Why? Why do we do this? So that, so that we can live a peaceful and godly life in Christ Jesus, because that's pleasing in the sight of God, our savior. Why? Because it is through a holy church In freedom, proclaiming its word that the gospel is spread and God desires all men to come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. For there is one mediator between God and man, man, Christ Jesus. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and its truth. We thank you that you have appointed for us leaders. You have appointed us as those who have the freedom to elect them. Well, we pray that we would use that freedom and responsibility and write well. We pray that as we go through the next several years, the leaders that you have appointed, that you will work powerfully in them to give them wisdom so that this nation would be led well for the good, and for the restraining of evil, for the glory of your Son, so that we might have the freedom to proclaim the gospel, to live peaceful and quiet lives in Christ Jesus for your namesake.